not every plan is going to fit for every single person. So it's just a reminder to kind of really dig deep, get really clear on what is most important to you. That might be connecting to family. That might not be connecting to family. It might be about, you know, redefining what is holidays and having, you know, different options available to you, but really just getting clear on what matters most and doing that and filling your bucket that way. And I thought that was just really simple. And it was like, okay, well, that can, that can work for just about anyone, yeah. right? We just get clear on what matters most to us. I'm Heather Venegas, and you're listening to King County Recovery Conversations, a place to celebrate recovery and help break the stigma of addiction and mental health. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm back in the studio, so to speak, virtually today for another recovery conversation with a co-host extraordinaire, Elise Bryson, the sober curator. And we're joined today by Christine Pennington and Samantha Polly. We are going to be having a conversation around what is right in front of us, the holidays. Oh my gosh. So we're going to be talking about navigating the holidays in recovery and some of the things we can do and ideas we have and experiences people can share uh, about how we've gotten through this time period every year and come out the other side still in recovery. So to kick things off, I've asked Christine to share a little bit about her recovery journey with us. Great. Thank you, Heather. Um, my name's Christine Pennington, and my sober date is June 15th, 2007. Um, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor who has a sponsor. Um, I got sober at Res 12. Um, unfortunately, they're no longer with us. They um, closed down right before COVID. Um, so a little bit about me and how I got started. Um, I started recovery. I wouldn't even call it recovery. I got a DWI when I was 22 and I went to outpatient treatment. I don't think they did sponsors then. I don't think that they did anything like that because I don't remember any of that. But what I do remember is I went to IOP for nine months and stayed sober. I had a boredom going on. I, I didn't change anything. I still lived with three girls that were 22 who were still doing drinks all the time. And I was bored one day and I was waiting on a roommate and I just opened a beer. And from then it was game on for the rest of my two-year prosecution. Um, I could not stay sober. They put me back in weekly sessions. They put me back in nightly sessions. They put me on ant abuse. I had to go over to Bartels every day and they watched me take it and I still drink on it. I just couldn't stay sober. Um, one little trick that I did pick up in those first nine months is I learned how to gamble and I learned how to puke. So I picked up some cross addictions is what I've, uh, you know, I learned in the Res 12 that that's what that was called. Um, so that's how I was able to probably just hold on for that time period. So fast forward, um, my life, nothing changed. Fast forward to, let's see, late 19... 99, 2000-ish, a lot of things in my life changed. I was in a bad relationship that I, I know now was a codependent relationship, but it was mentally abusive and it was ended up physically abusive. And I played that dance for five years. Um, and at one point in time, I had someone that came along who didn't want to just try and have sex with me from the bar. And he actually wore a suit and he offered to put gas in my car. And so 
I ended up um, running off and trying to start a different new life. I, um, we got engaged. We bought a house. We remodeled a house. We had a big wedding. I started a new job at my company, which was project work. And all within five years, that's how long my project was, I became just this person that who I was not meant to be. Um, I had dabbled in drugs a little bit, but my drug of choice was always alcohol. Um, at this point in time, I didn't think it was any big deal. I just thought that's what my makeup was, and I was always going to be an alcoholic, and it was no big deal. Um, fast forward to that five-year period. Um, at the end of that five-year period, when my very large project at work went live, I also was going through divorce um, already. So a lot, a lot of things happened in that five-year period. Um, one of the things that I recall so vividly is that my friends and I, um, we had a tight-knit group at work, and um, I nursed them all back to health. I'm, I'm really good at being the codependent girl, you know, making sure everybody's okay. I didn't have that growing up. And so I nursed all my friends back to, you know, in good spirits. And then I felt alone, you know, I felt alone. And when I had gotten divorced, I moved to a little apartment right across the street from the bar. A few weeks after my big project went live, one of my best friends died in a fatal car crash. Um, that is why I was nursing my friends back to health. Um, everybody was distraught. I was distraught. Um, but what ended up happening is all my friends moved on. And this gal had a friend who also felt alone as well. And so she was actually a cocaine dealer. And so she and I became really good friends. And off went my journey for the next four years. I went to many different shrinks. I went to, uh, I got on many different medications to try to figure out what was wrong with me because I knew something was wrong with me. Then I, um, that lasted for four years. Um, I'll tell you, the year before I got sober, I had just, things were just not going well for me. I had, um, broken up with a relationship um, because we were doing too many drugs and we were both depressed and my mental illness was just at a peak. And so I decided to go get an assessment, which I did, and they said outpatient. And so I knew at that time I couldn't live across the street from the bar where I was getting my drugs and go to outpatient. So I had a choice. I could either use the money that I have and I can move and put a down payment on an apartment away from that bar, or I could go to outpatient and then stay exactly where I was. So guess what? I chose to move because a geographical change will help me. So, um, which it didn't, I just continued to drive to that bar after work every day, you know, Oh, I don't want to get into traffic. So I'll just stop here for one or two or 10 things were not going well. Um, and so I just was getting really depressed. Nobody could figure out how to fix me. You know, none of these shrinks could figure out what was wrong. But, you know, when you're taking um, lots of cocaine and drinking a lot, those medications don't work anyway. So, but I couldn't, I just couldn't figure that out. Even though I had had a taste of AA 20 years prior, 18 years prior. So when I, um, that year before I got sober, I just got really depressed. And so I stayed homesick for a couple of days at work from work. And then um, 
I was like, I just need some time away. And so I um, phoned up my old HR manager um, who was no longer with the company. And I said, I think I need that time off thing, but I don't know how to do it. He says, well, you've already been to the doctor because you're sick. Um, you, this is what you do. You go on FMLA. And so I went on FMLA for three months and I went down to Texas and stayed at my mom's house. I had not lived with my mom since for a brief stint um, when I was 17 years old. Prior to that, I hadn't lived with my mom since I was 11. And so I went down there for three months and um, I didn't change anything except for my location um, and access to a drug dealer. So I continued to drink down there. Um, I was only there maybe a week or two and I got into the box with all the liquor and I started drinking it. And my aunt was there trying to get herself together. She was, um, she is, she was a, a pill popper. I don't know what kind of pills, but um, she was there trying to get herself well also. So she gave me something in my drunken stupor. I have no idea what it was, even to this day. And the next morning I wake up to my mom saying, so you do cocaine every day. So you gamble every day. Your credit cards are all maxed out. And um, being the good, you know, signed up for everything for me, you know, wanted to take care of me. I'm her only one. She goes, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pay off your bills with this credit card that has a zero um, balance. And then when you get on your feet, you're going to start paying me back. And we're not going to tell your stepdad, by the way, you know, so let's get some more secrets going on. And so um, I did that. And the other two requirements is she wanted me to see a shrink and see a therapist. And so I did that while I was there for three months. Mind you, I still drank. Nobody told me I couldn't drink anymore. And so I, I would get my liquor and I would put it in the dresser drawer of my bedroom. Why would, why would a sane person do that? Um, and so my three months FMLA was over. That was about seven months before I got sober. I came home and nothing had changed, right? Um, I flew in the night Green Bay was playing the Seahawks, and it looked like we were playing in Green Bay because of all the snow. And guess what? Nobody could come pick me up. So in my drunken stupor from the plane, I um, called my parents in Texas and said, what do I do? You know, I'm 38 years old, by the way. And um, they said, grab one of those hotel shuttles and go over there and get a room and just put it on our credit card. And so I did that. I also took along the boy that was on the plane with me, you know, because, you know, I need some company. And, um, you know, uh, a little over 24 hours, I found someone to come pick me up and it was my drug dealer. So off and running, I was for the next six months. A few things happened during that six months. One time I looked like I was having a stroke at my house. One time I was at the bar and it looked like they didn't know what was going on with me. So I just went outside and smoked a cigarette. Um, I was doing a lot of cocaine at that time. Um, but I went back to drinking, doing cocaine, all those things. Um, and it was just getting worse, like they say. Um, and then in June, I, um, my, one of my best friends in that small little group, um, he died from a drug overdose and he had been on, um, Vicodin or something like that. Um, he was 27. He had a 10 day old baby. And so I get the call from his fiance 
And she said, this is where we're at. We're at the hospital. And I said, okay, I'll be there, but I, I'm, I'm busy right now, but I'll be there. Guess where I was? I was at the casino and I wasn't ready to leave yet. And I still had a lot of drugs to go. So I made my way up there. I saw, I saw what was happening. And then I went home that night and I forgot to charge my phone. So I wake up the next morning to all these missed calls from my coworkers. Um, cause I had already known I was going to take the day off cause my best friend, you know, he just had a drug overdose. And so when I plugged in my phone and got all these messages, I found out that his fiance had called me and said that, um, he took a turn for the worst and they were going to take him off. And so I went up there and the room is just full of people crying. Um, but I was, I was cheery. I was awake. I had saved a little bit of drugs for the morning before I went to the hospital. And, um, you know, that weekend I did what I did best. I, uh, did a bunch of drugs. I drank a whole bunch over his death. Um, I gathered all the friends. We gathered the pictures, remembered the good times, made the collages for the, um, celebration of life. Um, and things was, things were good for a few days. And then, um, we were gathering a bunch of stuff for his celebration of life. We were going to do it at his mom's house. And I was shitty drunk at that bar that I used to live across from. And I had to deliver the, the large coffee pots. And by the time I got there, plus there was booze on the counter that I would just walk by and drink. Um, one of my best friends yelled at me. And she's like, what are you doing? You don't want to live like this. I'm like, I'm fine. You know, my best friend just died. Get off me. You know, I'm fine. Um, that night, she called my mom in Texas. I was also out of drugs that day, which is why I was so wasted. If I would have had my drugs, I would have been able to, you know, handle myself. So the next day I go to work and then I go to the um, funeral home to drop off the picture collages that we had made and um, cover up my beer because that's where I drank my beer at by this time. Covered it up in the, in the cup holder with a shirt or something or a coat. And, um, I see my roommate pull up and my mom gets out of the car and I was like, oh shit, I'm in, oops, I didn't mean to swear. I was like, oh man, I'm in trouble now. 38, right? I'm going to be 39 in two days. And, uh, so she's just there to support me. She had asked me, do you want me to come and support you? I'm like, no, I don't need your help. I, I do life just well on my own. I don't need you. And, uh, so she showed up and, uh, the next day I went to work and I was on my P's and Q's. And then the uh, next day was the funeral. And that best friend that had called my mom, she said, are you going to drink right today? And I said, absolutely. I, I'm just, I'm going to be fine. I also didn't have drugs either. Funeral happens. I can see at the funeral, all these different people talking that don't know each other, except for they know me. And I was like, something's up, something's up. And so we go to have the celebration of life and um, I asked someone to bring me a beer when the keg got tapped and I sat there to watch the video because I couldn't see it from my seat, um, the video of his um, for the funeral. And so someone put a beer there, but then someone else came and took it and said, I was told to take this from you. And then shit hit the fan. I was yelling at everybody like, you people won't even let me, you know, grieve my friend. Um, long story short, I said, I'm leaving. I'm going home to my house with my boyfriend and my mom. And the girls are like, no, come to our house so we can all go swimming. All of us girls. I'm like, I want nothing to do with y'all. So I go home, they follow me and they're like, guess what? We're doing an intervention. 
I'll tell you the one key thing that got me when they were going in circles is my mom said that um, she was watching me commit suicide every day and she couldn't save her own mom who had committed suicide 10 years prior with a gun. And so that's what got me. Thank you, Christine. And I would love to um, have you fast forward a little bit and just speak to um, Candlelight Mm. and some of the uh, service work you've done around supporting women and people in recovery during the holidays. Oh, absolutely. So I went to Res 12 um, that summer in 2007, and I never left until they closed the doors never left. Um, We started an alumni association the month after I got out of treatment. Um, We started asking, what can we do? How can we be of service? Um, We got to drive the druggy buggy. We got to take the girls to outside meetings. Um, We started doing a once a month inpatient potluck with the girls. So some of us people could come in and just talk with them. No case managers in there. No, nobody that worked at the res was in there. We would spend two hours eating with them and letting them ask us any questions. A lot of the questions that would come up in the October, November, December timeframe was about the holidays and how do we navigate this? And there's no way I can go to my parents' house because of X, Y, and Z. Um, You know, a couple of the key things that I know that worked for me and for others, the party's going to go on without me, whether I'm there or not, you know, and uh, nobody knows what I can tolerate except for me. You know, nobody knows if that situation being around my family who's going to drink is going to bother me that day. But guess what? It didn't bother me last week, but it's so important to listen to your insights about where you feel that you can handle um, being. The other thing was, you know, my first year I was sober, I signed up to do a chair meeting at a um, AA club that was doing round the clock meetings for a few days. So I did that. Um, I got a service position. I got a home group in AA when I first got sober. Um, And then so with the res, that, that's, that kept me connected. I got to see these new girls every week. Um, before they closed, I had been the person that coordinated the women that went in every Sunday night for nine years, you know? So the res closing was just a huge gap in my own recovery, I feel, which I still haven't found my way of how to fill that void. And then, of course, COVID happened. So a couple of other things. Keep your list. Always have your list of numbers. Um, and keep calling, right? Um, another good thing to do, and it's not even just about the holidays, but anytime you need to go to a, a setting, you don't have to stay the whole time. You really don't. And have, have a plan for afterwards that you're committed to doing something or meeting someone or going somewhere with somebody or bring a sober friend with you. Um, and I've had to use those people before. I've had to make those phone calls, you know, because it doesn't matter how many years and days and months I have, I still wake up every morning with this crazy head, you know, and as the holidays approach, I think, I think a lot of us are triggered and affected with that. And especially about seeing our family of origin. Thanks, Christine. Samantha, uh, would you like to share a little bit about what's brought you here today and some ideas you might have for navigating the holidays? 
Absolutely. Thanks, Heather. So I'm Samantha Polly. I'm the National Director of Virtual Services, and I oversee the Pacific Northwest Outpatient Facilities for the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation. And I'm super, super honored to be here. Christine, it's such a joy and an honor for me to sit and listen to your story because it's stories like that that bring me back to my work every single day because we never know what's going to click and when it's going to work for someone and then to be part of their journey forward into recreating their new life is such an, again, honor. So thanks for sharing your story. Um, I'm here today to share a little bit about the tips and recommendations that we offer as part of outpatient treatment and really just to anyone. So you not necessarily have to be part of an outpatient treatment program for these trips and tricks to work for the holiday season. Um, and Christine touched on a few of them, right? So, you know, knowing ahead of time what is kind of on your schedule or the events that you're going to be invited to, and then make really solid plans ahead of time. And that really requires bringing in the different people in your network ahead of time. So calling your sponsor or calling half a dozen or a dozen people in recovery to kind of consult with or bounce ideas off of what has worked for them. Um, having a plan in place ahead of time is going to be really important. Um, we call it having an exit strategy. So knowing that, you know, if you, even with the best plan and talking about all the different scenarios that you can imagine ahead of time, you might get there and be flooded with emotions, or you might see your crazy aunt that you have a negative relationship with, and she just triggers you and you've often running into your head, knowing how to exit that situation. So maybe that's driving yourself um, or having consulted with someone that you could call to come get you, having Uber app right in your, you know, loaded in your phone so that you can exit quickly if you need um, are really good things to know. Um, we also often recommend bookending events with sober events. So whether that's a meeting or again, a phone call scheduled with someone in recovery pre and post event can be helpful. Scheduling that call is important because one of the things that we often hear is, you know, well, I called someone and they didn't answer. And sometimes that rumination will start of, well, they're just not here for me or I'm here left alone again. And I did the thing that they told me to do. I called someone and it didn't quote unquote work. So keep calling, keep calling your list of people or have this scheduled time ahead of you know, worked out ahead of time so that you can work on connecting with someone in recovery. You know, um, can I add on to yeah, that, Samantha? Go for it. Um, yeah. I love what you said about um, connecting with someone afterwards, because I have seen, because I was at the res all the time, I saw these new girls every week. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that is so evident that happened to me, and I was able to share that is, you might be okay at the time of the event that you're going to, but it's when you get back home and you're alone, your head starts playing. Why couldn't I do that? So I think that I think that that is tricky for people and they don't expect that. Yep. Absolutely. Christina, and that's such an important point. And it's not just in that time of the event, mm -hmm. but it's even post the holidays, mm -hmm. right? For a lot of People, we can plan and we can get through the holiday season and it's quote unquote successful. Maybe you've made it, you know, sober through all of these events, but then it's January that hits and we're overwhelmed with feelings of post-holiday blues, 
um, this rumination of, well, why can't everyone else have a, you know, celebratory drink during the holiday dinner and I didn't get to. And so we're in that negative self-talk. And so again, um, pulling all of these tips into January, mid-January, late January and ongoing is going to be really helpful because that's also a really risky period of time for people that are in early recovery as post the holiday season. Mm -hmm. Elise, what would you like to add to the conversation? Well, um, I love the tips that I've, I've heard. Definitely. I'm someone who likes to show up late and leave early. Um, and uh, if there's an Irish goodbye, so be it. Um, but um, what I've heard here today is that, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? So the really the key is, is to having a plan and making sure you have a reason to be there. And um, because if you don't, it's okay to say no. It's okay to have boundaries and say, I'm not available this year for that thing or this thing. Um and if you're at an event where there is drinking, I always find it's easier if I have a drink already in my hand and I just kind of slowly drink it. Because if you already have a drink in your hand, no one's going to offer you one, right? And so you can just kind of sidle up to whoever's making the drinks, ask them to put you something non-alcoholic in a pretty glass uh, and, you know, throw a little lemon on it or something to make it look fancy and then just kind of hold it. And that that's one of my tricks that works really, really well. Um, and it's, you know, having a host of numbers. I love that I heard that, um, you know, texting with people. Um, it, all those things do work. And I appreciated hearing about you might do fine during the event, but then you get home and you're really depressed. You know, that can definitely happen. Um, you know, go take a sober buddy or at least somebody who is supporting your decision not to drink. They don't have to right. be sober. They just have to be really excited that you want to be sober and help hold you accountable because um, it's just easier to navigate this thing with somebody else than by yourself. And I find, um, you know, just telling people makes it easy. Even if you're like communicating with the host ahead of time, just even a casual text message. Hey, by the way, I don't drink, uh, but don't worry. I'll bring my own options with me. I don't want to cause any extra work on your part. There's lots of different things that you can do um, to kind of get through any kind of celebratory activity um, with your sobriety intact. I love that, Elise. Can I just add on? I think that sharing with the host or with other people, bringing that sober friend or just sharing with your safe people is really important. The other thing that I thought of that sometimes works is holding something in your pocket, whether that's your coin that you got at a recent meeting or a note that someone in recovery offered you or something that reminds you of your goals. So something that you're working towards that while you're talking and gathering and socializing, you can kind of just have your hand in your pocket and it's a tactile reminder of what mm -hmm. you're committed to. It's like to. a fidget spinner, but for sobriety. I get it. I get it. I get <laughs> it. For sobriety. That's good. I also, I think, um, I'm thinking back to my early recovery days and I had I was always writing on note cards for some reason. I had them stashed everywhere. I had them in my bathroom. I had them in my car. But they were little reminders why I was doing what I was doing. And so to read over those notes before I would go into a place. And, you know, if you're a person of faith or have a higher power that is not yourself, like like turning it over, uh, you know, and, and before you even get into the environment is a really good idea. And 
And what I learned early on is if I wasn't in the right headspace to go to something, even if it was something I had been really looking forward to, I just opt out, which is hard. If you have FOMO, I know how hard that is, but I'm really glad now for the things I opted out of in the beginning, because guess what? I got to do all those kinds of things and even more later on as I got more confidence and as I got more practice, because that first year is tricky, but I, I actually do think it gets easier because um, you just start to know what to expect. But I also, you know, my experience is pretty vanilla. I don't come from a drinking family. So when I go home for the holidays, I don't have to deal with any of this. I was the only drinker in the family. So um, they're just thrilled that I'm showing up sober, quite <laughs> honestly, um, and showing up at the appropriate t day and time. So um I don't have a lot of experience with navigating some of those tougher situations, um, but there's lots of people that do and lots of resources um, that you could look mm -hmm. up ahead of time. Yeah. Some of the things that are occurring to me, like definitely I have um, gone home or gone to a family event uh, with my ex-husband and his hugely extensive family and then gone from there to like a gratitude dinner on Thanksgiving um, afterwards and missing the gratitude dinner part, but being there for the speakers and, you know, the dance or whatever was going on after the dinner and just getting back into community right after being with family was really helpful. Um, the other thing that occurred to me is we're talking a lot about people going home to their families for the holidays. And I know there's a lot of people that don't have families to go home to, or they don't have um, the opportunity to see their children because of um, some of the wreckage of their past. And so um, some of the things that came up for me is also uh, doing like a Friendsgiving or definitely there have been so many years where um, my table has been filled with people in recovery for the holidays um, and maybe not a family affair in the, you know, the physical sense of the word, but definitely my recovery family and especially bringing in newer um, people in new recovery and sponsee sisters and things like that and doing lots of potlucks and just being together, you know, and, and having games nights and, um, you know, honoring traditions maybe that were important to different people that have shown up at the table this year in this um, combination that's like a one-time thing. Um, and also that slump that totally can happen before or after. And so I just want to say there's places to go. Um, whoever's listening to this and whoever may need um, some ideas for places to go, if you're not going home to family or if you um, don't have the opportunity to be with your children, um, there's a lot of places that will be in our show notes and we'll have links to. Um, that have their doors open at the holidays. And one in Seattle is Pure Seattle. They're open 365 days a year from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And anyone is welcome. They have a potluck that they will be doing on Christmas. Um, Recovery Cafe is another drop-in place like that that always has their door open and lots of support and circles and things going on. Um, and there's lots of Alano clubs and places like that that do have meetings around the clock and have different types of activities and supports that are um, being offered throughout the holidays. So we'll share um, lots of different places, lots of nonprofits and things that 
are doing things. And if people need help financially or with gifts, there's also places that have giving trees mm-hmm. or um, holiday bags and things that are given out. So um, the most important thing is, I think, realizing that you don't have to do it alone, right? Mm-hmm. And that no matter what's going on in our head, we can reach out and ask for help. Um, and like me being alone with myself is the most dangerous place I can yeah. be. So it's really important to have that list. And I, I love having a smartphone for that reason that we can like text people, I can FaceTime, I can, um, you know, and my sponsor is a globetrotter. She has like traveled and lived extensively across the globe and it's come in really handy to be able to FaceTime no matter where we are and, and be connected and to have people's numbers in my phone on speed dial. I was going to tag on to you, Heather, about the Alano clubs and having their alcathons. Even if you do have a family and you are having a meal with your family, I still always try to go to a meeting around the holidays because there's a lot of people sitting in there that don't have that, you know, or, or maybe I got squirrely, even if all my time here. Um, it's just a great way to take your eyes off yourself and to be with others. So, and the other thing too, that Heather and I were chit chatting about, there's a lot of opportunities to do some volunteer work around the holidays. You know, there's soup kitchens that are doing, um, holiday feasts. You know, we just passed Thanksgiving now, so we're coming up to Christmas. So there should be some things happening for that. Um, I was just going to chime in, like, these are all great options for if you want to go in person, but you might not feel up to that, or you might not have transportation, and maybe you don't want to take three buses across town. I wouldn't blame you. So I just want to bring up, there's a lot of online options. There's still a lot of peer support groups that are meeting online via Zoom, via Clubhouse. Um, there's so many different um, sober apps now. I can't even keep track of them. Although if you want to check them out at the Sober Curator, we've got a list of them. I can't guarantee they're all good, though. Just please know that going in. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, I just, as someone who has lived in the online recovery mm-hmm. space pretty deeply for the last three to four years, um, I can just tell you that I have made real relationships mm-hmm. with people that I have met in the online recovery community that after the fact ended up meeting them in person and spending time with them in real life. And in some ways, I feel like those relationships are are very special because um, assuming that the people that you're connected with are telling you the truth, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't, nobody wants to be recovery catfish, (laughs) let's be clear. But, um, uh, you know, I just think that there's there's so many options now, but that can also be really overwhelming, right? That can be really overwhelming. So just uh, easy does it. And if you, if you buddy up with somebody else who's been through it, that can be anyways, the easiest way through. And I just like to remind everybody, it doesn't matter. I feel like we're speaking to all the new people, but this can be anybody in recovery, you know, it can sneak up on us. So, um, just having these plans. Christine, I'll just share just a really quick story. So my dad is here visiting, um, he comes pre Thanksgiving and stays with us until just before the holidays. And he is celebrating 35 years of recovery. And he and I had a chance to connect. And I had this conversation with him knowing that I was prepping for this discussion with you all today. And I just said, you know, dad, what, what has allowed you to have 35 years of successful sober holidays? And he was like, you know, just focus on what matters most and do the plan that works for you. Right. So not every plan is going to fit for every single person. 
So it's just a reminder to kind of really dig deep, get really clear on what is most important to you. That might be connecting to family. That might not be connecting to family. It might be about, you know, redefining what is holidays and having, you know, different options available to you, but really just getting clear on what matters most and doing that and filling your bucket that way. And I thought that was just really simple. And it was like, okay, well, that can, that can work for just about anyone, Mm -hmm. right? We just get clear on what matters most to us. Thank you. Love that. Yeah, I was thinking definitely about the getting outside of my head and doing something for someone else is Mm -hmm. a great thing to do any time of the year for this person in recovery, but especially during the holidays. Um, There's so many opportunities and places that can really use our help. And it's fun to do it together, like with a group of people in recovery and go be of service. I've done that like um, at a food bank. Um, and I've also like gone in and, uh, to recovery cafes up in Mike night, um, a couple of times with my spiritual community and taken in the dinner and supported that event. And it's just really a wonderful thing to not only be of service myself, but to get to do it with a group of people that I care about and love and have that shared experience together. Um, it, for me, that's the type of thing I think that really makes, um, the holiday special is like you said, getting to get really clear on what matters most to us. What, you know, what is it that that we are to give or to receive? And um, I always think about, um, and this is the minister in me coming out um, for those that don't know in another lifetime. And, and still actually, um, I am a licensed and ordained minister. And that's something that happened in my recovery. And I blame my sponsor at the time, Paulette Harris, <laughs> for taking me to the Center for Spiritual Living Seattle. And, and <laughs> um, the rest is history. But um, in my journey as a minister, I was doing a, a series of Wednesday evening services uh once a month and i did one year i did interfaith intercultural um celebrations and so when we got to december i was um having everybody share their traditions from whatever their uh spiritual or religious background was and what their families did as they were kids and it was really wonderful and one of the things that in my studies and prep for that was looking at hanukkah and um, the menorah, which is the like the candle holder that they use during the days of Hanukkah, um, has a number of candles, and one of the candles has a really specific purpose, and it's called the shamash. And the shamash candle is the candle that lights all the other candles. It uses it light, its light to light all the other candles. And to me, that's what we do in recovery, right? We're shining our light, we're sharing our light. And I think this is a really beautiful time of year uh, to do that and get to do that uh, with other members of our recovery community, maybe people that are new, um, just shining that light back and reminding each one of us that, you know, we're precious and we're Mm -hmm. here on purpose and, um, you know, that we have something special to offer the world that is just uniquely our own. Um, Christine, would you tell us a little bit about candy, candlelight? That will have just occurred by the time this episode drops, uh, but I know that it's a tradition that Res 12 had for many years and that it is coming back in person this year. Yes, so exciting. Um, 
for that because it had been four years because the res had closed. It was one of the um, things that our planning committee would plan every year. Um, it would always have a funny skit that the staff would do and a funny skit that the alums would do. We'd have three speakers. Um, we'd have raffle baskets. Um, we use those funds to, well, we used to use those funds to buy presents for the inpatient ladies while well, the, the ones that were at the res. Um, just a really fun event, and it's just a way to celebrate everybody in recovery, er, women, women in recovery, of all kinds of recovery. Um, just amazing, and um, I hope that we continue to have that next year as well. well. I'm looking forward to being there with all of you at Mobus Hall uh, with many, many women in the recovery community. Uh, Elise, is there anything else you'd like to share Uh about this time of the year and your recovery journey? I'm not a Hallmark Channel holidays kind of girl, <laughs> for the record. That's not my jam, not my jam at all. Um, uh, I, I've done a lot of different things over the years. I've traveled, I've not traveled. I've done big group outings, I've done really small outings. We've done presents, we've done not presents. Um, but if I look back to, on the years that have been the most meaningful to mm -hmm. me, it, and you guys touched on this earlier, it was when I spent time during the holidays being of service to others and making sure they had a special mm -hmm. holiday, it was, um, that is what has been, had the biggest impact. So whether it was working at a soup kitchen or delivering presents or Christmas caroling or any of the things, I've done all the things, um, when you spend time being of service to other people, um, my dad used to tell me it's impossible to feel sorry for yourself and be helpful to someone else at the same time. And um, I don't know if it's impossible, but I would, I would agree that um, he's pretty right. And, and that's a pretty accurate statement. And so these are really mm -hmm. simple things. This could be you're at Fred Meyer and you see that stressed ass, stressed out mom with the toddler who's freaking out that just needs help to her car, right? Or you see that person that's holding a sign on the street sign and maybe you're not someone who normally gives out money um, when you're in that situation, but you feel like something's telling you this one's different. Like trust those instincts. Um, whatever ways show up that you can be helpful to others that is what I think the true meaning of the holiday is, regardless of if you're in recovery or not. Mm -hmm. And so that would probably be um, what I would just want to emphasize. I love that, Elise. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Samantha, anything else you want to add? Yeah. I mean, I think we've touched on so many great things, obviously focusing in on those that are in recovery through this time period. I think the one piece that I'd want to just add or highlight that if you are listening to this and are someone supporting someone in recovery, so a family member or a loved one or also in recovery, but maybe a sponsor or sponsor to someone, you know, ask questions, ask what it would be, what is supportive to them. So sometimes we well-intended, but we jump in and we want to offer advice and we want to do the thing that we think is going to be the thing that works. Um, and what I would ask or offer is to ask questions, be curious about what's going to be supportive of that individual um, and come alongside them. Um, 
offer to be their exit strategy. So that might mean that you change your own holiday plan and your own holiday traditions, but offering if that's what they're asking for to be, you know, their ride home, if that's what they need. Um, and just also for those to supporting individuals in recovery, you know, invest in your own self-care and your own journey. Because again, sometimes those feeling lines get really blurred if we're not also really clear about what's coming up for us and what our own triggers are. Um, so self-care all the way around um, for everyone is really important. Thank you, everyone. Uh, I think this was a great opportunity to really talk about how we can walk through this time with some intention and awareness and planning and preparation instead of like <laughs> finding myself in the moment with nothing prepared and like freaking out because I'm getting triggered by some holiday thing um, that's happening yep. in the moment. And you've given me a lot to um, put back in my, my toolkit and I'm excited to share things uh, with our listeners in our speaker's notes, which you'll find on Spotify. And maybe some will show up on the Sober Curator. I'm not sure. Um, I would just invite all three of you to join me in doing a shout out of season's greetings to our listeners. And we can go in any order and you can say whatever you want. Let's do it. So I'll do a shout out. Um, one of the things that I always sign my gratitude list with, I'm on a gratitude list with 100 women, is be where your feet are. Now is all we get. And happy holidays. I love that. So I'll just shout out to the recovery community as a whole. So thank you for listening. Um, I, Christine, I was going to piggyback off of you just a little bit. One of my favorite sayings is, um, this is the main event. So we don't get a do-over in life. So we get to choose what we do with this one pass um, around. So, you know, make it the best that you can make it for yourself. Um, invest in the tools, build your toolbox, ask for help and do all the things that we've covered here today. Um, but, you know, don't shy away that you know, this is the main thing. So, thank you. Well, and I think to echo that, um, a quote that I love is actually like, just remember you've survived a hundred percent of your bad days, right? Because as someone who I deal with depression, I have suicidal tendencies, even in recovery, even in long-term recovery, um, the holidays can do that, especially uh, for those of us here in the Pacific Northwest, it's like dark at 2 PM. It feels like, and the sun comes up at 11 a.m. Like you get three hours of sun. Maybe if there is sun that day, you know, it can just be, it could be a lot. And like sometimes crawling out of bed is really hard. Sometimes picking up the phone is really mm -hmm. hard. Um, sometimes scrolling through social media and seeing everybody else's happy, joyous holiday photos is too much. Right. And I just want to remind you, that's a filter. Yep. They're only showing the highlight reels. They're not showing you how they actually feel, the things that are actually happening. And I know that as an active social media poster, I am only showing the highlight reels. I want everybody to think my life is rainbows and butterflies, <laughs> even though I might not have gotten out of bed for seven days, right? Like that's just reality. So you have to remember that when you're comparing your insides to everybody else's outsides. Um, as it's, it's especially hard at this time of year because we just see all the people doing all the things that maybe we can't afford to do, or we don't have the time to do. And, um, that jealousy and envy can kick in and, there's just, there's not a lot of room for that if you want to, if you want to be in recovery. Yep. Oh, well said. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Thank you. I, uh, this is a time for me where I really focus on gratitude. I kind of carry it all through November. Well, it's my daily practice all year round, but I especially am aware of it through the holiday season and, um, keeping that simple, you know, what is it I'm really grateful for? Um, my sponsor, um, the ability to meet with people in a, in a, technological way like we are right now, you know, across space and time and being able to connect together and um, so many things. Um, Thank you everyone for being here today. Um, I would just love to invite everybody who's listening and everybody who's here uh, to join me and King County Recovery Coalition in a social media campaign that we do during the holidays called Gifts of Recovery. And we just invite everyone to, um, you can do a video on TikTok, you can do a photo and post it on your social media. We ask you to, um, and you could just do a written post if you want, just uh, share with us something that's a gift of your recovery. And it could be, you know, your sponsor, it could be your dog, it could be a really strong cup of coffee in the morning. (laughs) One of my favorites. Um, And take a picture of it, share it in a post and use our hashtag gifts of recovery. And what we're doing this for is to show that recovery is possible, um, to really spread awareness and understanding and to reduce stigma. Uh, So I would just invite everyone who's willing to, to share a post or two between now and the new year. And meanwhile, I would just say, hang in there, happy holidays, breathe in and breathe out. And, um, My practice is presence, being present here and now in this moment, because this is the moment that I have the power to choose. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the only moment I have for sure. So thank you, everyone. Thank you to Work P2P, our amazing podcast production team, to King County Behavioral Health and Recovery Division for helping make this podcast possible, and to my incredible guests and co-hosts today, Elise Bryson. Christine Pennington, and Samantha Polly. Happy holidays, everyone. Recovery news for this season. Uh, I want to make sure that I do a shout out for everyone for happy holidays 2023. Uh, You heard some wonderful tips today on how to navigate the holidays in recovery. And coming up on our next podcast, which drops on Christmas, is a Pacific Northwest Recovery Podcast Roundup uh, hosted by Elise Bryson with several recovery podcast hosts from across the region. Stay tuned. It's going to be amazing. During the holiday season, KCRC has a social media campaign that we'd love to invite you to participate in. It's called Gifts of Recovery, and we do this every year uh, to spread awareness and understanding that recovery is possible and and to show faces and voices of recovery, to get that into the conversation. It helps us reduce stigma by showing that recovery is possible and it can be amazing and wonderful. And so what I am inviting any of our listeners today and in the future uh, to do, if you would love to join us, is to Um, take a picture of something you consider a gift of your recovery. It can be a person, it can be your dog or cat, 
the keys to your car or a diploma you received uh, going back to school or completing your degree, or maybe it's a pass to your your job or uh, keys to a house or an apartment or whatever you consider a gift of your recovery or your loved one's recovery. Uh, take a picture of it. You could take a video and talk about it. You could write a few lines about it in a social media post and then use our hashtag gifts of recovery. Let's show the world that recovery is possible and that we do recover. Events that we have coming up in the new year um, on January 11th, uh, KCRC and the WRA are hosting a virtual Elevate Recovery Advocacy Training. Uh, this is for people in recovery um, and loved ones, family members, or allies uh, to come together and learn how to share about our story and our experience and talk about it in a way where we can be brief and concise and engage with lawmakers and the media um, using pro-recovery language. So that is on January 11th. Um, it, you can go to kcrecovery.org to register and for more information. And then on January 25th, we're bringing people from all over the Pacific Northwest to join us in Olympia for our annual Recovery Advocacy Day at the state capitol, where we will be meeting with all of our lawmakers and asking them to support uh, pro-recovery policy, uh, funding, um, and providing programs and recovery support services across our state. We'd love to have you join us. Again, you can go to kcrecovery.org for more information and to register. So thanks again. That's all my news. Happy New Year. I'm Heather Venegas. Thanks for listening to King County Recovery Conversations, a place to celebrate recovery and help break the stigma of addiction and mental health. If you are a loved one or experiencing substance use disorder, problem gambling, and or a mental health challenge, please visit the Washington Recovery Helpline at warecoveryhelpline.org for resources and a 24-hour helpline. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Special thanks to our production team at Work P2P Studios. If you'd like to share your recovery journey with us, please email me at heather at kcrecovery.org. We'll be back in two weeks with another story of hope, resilience, and healing.